You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fernanda Santos, bienvenida a Token Theater Friends. I'm so happy to have you here. And you look incredible today, by the way. I'm going to totally steal that shirt from you. Um, <laughs> it's a dress, actually. But you can also steal the dress if you want. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give that a thought. Dresses are I'm very all about breaking conventions, so. <laughs> I love that so much. Let's talk. Let's get started talking about Americano. Do you want to tell our listeners or viewers what Americano is? Americano is a musical um, that uh, tells the story of a dreamer. Uh, a dreamer is a young immigrant uh, who was brought to this country without and grew up without knowing. Um, in this case, he grew up without knowing that he was undocumented. They are brought to this country and, and, and raised without papers in the United States. And Tony Valdovinos, um, a real life dreamer from Arizona with uh, in whom, whose story we based the musical on, grew up wanting to join the Marines. And when he turned 18, he went to meet with a recruiter and he found out that he was not a citizen, that he didn't have papers. And that kind of, you know, his life kind of fell apart at that moment. But Tony then found his calling um, on the streets of Phoenix, Arizona, uh, when he decided to go out and start uh, enlisting voters uh, into the electoral process using his own story and the stories of others like him to tell people why it's so important for them to participate in the civic uh, process in this country. If they have a right as citizens, they should engage. And that's what Tony did. That's what many dreamers have done here in Arizona. You're obviously a very prolific author, journalist, and writer. How did you end up doing theater? Did you ever think that theater was something that you were going to add to your uh, resume at some point? No, but um, I, you know, this is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant. I'm from Brazil and I came here as an adult. And one of the things in this country that has always surprised me is how um, tempted people are to always put a label on on, on us, you know, oh, you're Latina, oh, you're brown, or oh, you're immigrant. And I go, yes, I am all of that, but I'm so much more than that. And having had a career as a journalist um, for so long, um, working in newspapers, I worked for 12 years at the New York Times, I worked at the Daily News in New York, I worked at two smaller newspapers in Massachusetts. I, um, I, I came to a point that I felt that journalist was also a label. And every label is, um, diminutive, right? It, it sort of boxes you into some definition that others have of that role or, or that uh, characteristic. 
Um, and I said, you know, I am just going to free myself from the label journalist. I'm going to call myself a writer because every journalist is a writer, but not every writer is a journalist. And once I open this bigger umbrella, um, then maybe I can fit other things under it. Uh, and that's how um, this experience with theater came about. I was uh, uh, contacted by uh, the two co-writers I work with on this show, Michael Barnard and Jonathan Rosenberg, at some point uh, after they had started working on the script for a show that opened in Phoenix in 2020. And they, um, they and, and the producer, uh, uh, one of the lead producers of this show, asked me if I wanted to join them. And I said, I, I'm not from theater. I don't write musicals, so I'm not interested, but I can be a consultant because I really know about this story. I really care about it. And I would love for nothing but to see a very accurate, both in terms of the facts, but also in terms of the culture, um, to see something very accurate, uh, full of heart on stage. And of course, I fell in love with the project uh, once the Phoenix run was over. Uh, we started dreaming with this idea of bringing the story of a dreamer to New York. And I said, you know, I, I want to be a part of this. I want to be, get my hands dirty and, um, and really help build a, a show that will communicate to a New York audience, to a global audience, what it truly means, in my opinion, to be an American, because that's what ultimately the show is all about. It's about define the well-established definitions of American. I love that you bring it up because I was rereading uh, this incredible uh, column that you wrote almost three years ago, I felt safe in America until El Paso. And I was so struck by this moment when you say, in the eyes of this gunman, I was not an American, but an invader. And I wonder if getting to write and getting to work out some of these demons, I would call them, through the play, in this case, does it make it, does it make them like easier to deal with, if that makes any sense? No, it makes complete sense. And, you know, writing is such a cathartic exercise, right? And once I embrace it as therapy, really, you know, I can take everything that I feel, all my vulnerabilities, uh, and put them on paper. And once I put them out there, I own them. And I really was in, in some ways inspired by these dreamers who put themselves at risk, uh, walked out of the shadows. We always talked about undocumented immigrants being in the shadows, right? They, they took a bold step of walking out and owning their story, even if it brought great risk to themselves and to their families. Um, and I feel that every time that I have written a column, that I have written an essay, um, every time that I write lines for this show, which is freezing uh, this week, so we can't write anything anymore, but every tweak that I make, every feeling that I try to convey is, is a, 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 a weight that's lifted from my back. Um, I, of course, am in a position of great privilege because I was never undocumented in this country. I came as a student. Then I went to a, uh, I, I got a work permit. Uh, then I went to a job fair. I met a man who interviewed me for a job and we ended up marrying. So I became a naturalized citizen by virtue of my marriage, completely unplanned, uh, uh, you know, process for me, this process of obtaining my citizenship. 
And, uh, you know, um, but, but all along I've, I've, I've had all these questions about myself, my identity, where I fit in, um, in the hierarchy that I believed was the only hierarchy in this country. And now I see there, you know, it's up to me to build this hierarchy and the writing has been very empowering. And in this musical, I think I resolved a lot of the, it's not so much that I resolved. Let me rephrase this. I put out there a lot of the questions and thoughts and feelings that I and others have carried inside. And, uh, and these are questions and thoughts and feelings that I want everybody who experienced this show to, to have. You know, what is my role in society? What do we do when we prevent people from maximizing their potential? Um, what do we do to, to them, but also what we do to our communities, you know, uh, to our country as a whole? Um, uh, how do we get over the politics to think about what actually makes sense? Um, how do we communicate this idea of home and belonging? I think anyone who has moved even within the United States, born and raised here, you know, has at one point or another felt like, where's my home? I miss home or I'm building a new home for me here, right? These are questions that we all grapple with, but immigrants, uh, especially undocumented immigrants, but all of us immigrants really um, at one point or another wonder do I belong here? Should I be here? Should I go back to where my parents are? My abuelita is, you know, uh, my tios y tias, my primos y primas, should I be with them? Um, so I, I have really used my writing and this musical is part of it to, to bring all these questions out there and help resolve them within myself, but myself, just one person, but uh, also uh, get others to think about it. In the musical, Tony grapples with several issues and questions that you have touched, uh, you know, when you worked during your career. So what draws you to tell a story? How do you know what kinds of stories you want to tell? Like, how do you get started, basically? Which is like a very tricky question for a writer, so I'm sorry. No, it's actually a great question because, you know, I, I have always been drawn by the human aspect of stories, right? You can um, throw a political story at me or a policy story, and I've written those, uh, but the way I have, I've, I've always tried to approach these stories because those are the stories that I like to read or experience in audio uh, or watch on, on TV, although I'm not much of a TV person with all due respect to TV people. I just, I don't know. I just don't have the time, but um, I, um, um, I always try to see how is it that it affects people out there? Who is it among these people out there who are being affected that encapsulates a lot of the complications, the challenges, uh, the questions that this story brings out or brings up? And, um, and how can I get this person to talk to me? You know, how can I get this person to open up? Because it's really a relationship of trust. You're asking someone to to share intimate details about their lives, to share their thoughts and feelings, right? And um, in the case of this musical, for example, Tony Valdovino's story has everything. First of all, he is um, a patriot in the, uh, not the hijacked sense of the word, but the traditional original sense of the word, right? He loves this country immensely. Um, he grew up dreaming of joining the Marine Corps because he wanted to go out and defend this country and fight for this country. He was inspired by the events of 9-11. Um, he watched um, 
the events unfold on TV in Arizona, as many of us, uh, those who are not in New York watched on TV, those who were in New York lived that story. Um, uh, and uh, Tony also was a good son, hardworking, um, has a, a family dynamic that's a universal family dynamic, a strong mother, a father who's a little stern and, and cold sometimes, but really comes from a place of love and caring. So when I choose the characters to, to to kind of help me tell a story. It's almost like you're choosing a, a driver, right? You're putting somebody on the driver's seat and, and that person's gonna guide the audience through this, this drama and this journey. It's gonna take people on a journey. I look for people who encapsulate these different challenges. And um, I've been very blessed throughout my life with the uh, patience to listen and also the courage to talk about my own life with others uh, so that the, they feel comfortable talking about their own lives with me. Um, and so it's a great responsibility, but it's also a great honor to, to serve as, as a vessel through which beautiful stories are told and, and um, in a way that I hope moves people. You mentioned responsibility, and that's certainly one of the things that a writer and a journalist has to, you know, keep in mind, right, and like keep in check. But there's something really beautiful about your work, and it's that you can almost say, I would, if I'm not being presumptuous, that you fall in love with your subject. <laughs> and I wonder, because you do give them that space to be who they are. They're so human, like they jump off the page. And I wonder, in addition to responsibility, how do you let go of that when the story's over? Do you feel like oh. you need to follow up with your subjects? How, how, do, how do you deal with that? Oh, it's so difficult, right? Because I do get emotionally involved. I can't help it, you know? I, I think that that's my, one of my uh, talents, I guess. You know, I, I was born that way, uh, baby. Um, I, um, I come from a family of storytellers. Uh, my family is, uh, has a very strong indigenous roots in Brazil, uh, African roots. Um, so a lot of oral history, you know, uh, strong women telling stories. Um, so I always understood the importance of sitting down and listening and giving people the opportunity to share things in the way that they want to share them, because we each experience the same thing differently. Um, and so when I became a journalist and I started going out and talking to people and hearing their stories, I uh, experienced that I couldn't separate that experience from the experience I had growing up, which was a very emotional experience. You are, you're telling me something important about you. I should sit down and listen. And if you cry, I may want to cry with you because I really am touched by it. And I have cried numerous times. I've laughed. I have kept, um, um, you know, um, I've shared pictures of my child with people who have talked to me about their children. I mean, I can go on and on, but uh, at one point you do have to let go. Um, and that's difficult. I have not entirely let go of all the subjects that I have written about. And I am proud to say that some of them have become friends. Uh, one of them, Abril Gallardo, she's a dreamer from Arizona. I very vividly remember right back when uh, Facebook Live was a thing, was like a big new thing. And the New York Times, where I worked at the Times uh, at the time, um, asked me to experiment with it. 
in journalism. And I invited Abril to uh, go on Facebook Live and tell the world that she was undocumented. I knew she was. She was still kind of coming out of her shell. And um, it was right in this moment of transformation here in Arizona. And Abril came and, um, and talked to me live on Facebook and uh, shared that story. And, um, and then we went on to talk you know, periodically. Uh, but her mother um, has a catering business and she was just at my house, brought some tacos for friends that I had over this weekend, you know, and um, her brother is going to come and paint a room in my house because I, I need help with that. And he works uh, uh, in construction as many immigrants and children of immigrants work. Um, there's a man who spent, I followed him through his first year of freedom um, after being released for uh, exonerated through DNA um, uh, in New York when I lived there. And, uh, and this man is now my friend. He came to see Americano on the first preview, you know? So, uh, so it's kind of great that uh, while I do keep the distance and I know that there are times that many times that I've had to let go, I also understand that it's okay to, to keep connected with some of these people, you know? Um, I care about them and it's not that I need to prove anything to them, but I am giving myself the license to be human before, you know, I'm more, the bigger umbrella is human. And then I'm a journalist and then I'm a writer and then I'm all these other things. Right. But, but I'm a human being. So I think it's okay to relate to others. Writers don't usually get to have immediate feedback. Sometimes they don't get to have any feedback at all from what, <laughs> readers are taking from you know your work right right so or, or you get an email like I do when people telling me like you should go back to Mexico and I go like hmm I would love to because I'm actually from <laughs> Brazil but you know thank you <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs> no, that's fine what has it been like then to be sitting in a room where you get to experience people reacting in real time to the work that you've created it is so freaking scary, so intimidating, so humbling, and so awesome all at the same time. You know, uh, in the in the theater at Theater Three and at New World Stages, you know, we're in Theater Three and it's a, a 499 C theater, right? So we don't see the mezzanine from where we sit. And I say we, because the creative team has these, these um, reserved seats toward the back by the, the lighting um, uh, desk. And, um, but we have this view of the entire orchestra and we can see, we can see if people picked up their phone during the show, you know, if they're whispering to one another, uh, if they are clapping, moving their hands. You know, our people love to move their hands. I actually was just sitting on my hands and I said, oh, it's okay, Jose will understand if I move my hands. <laughs> um, it's like I'm an air traffic controller. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm always kind of searching for that reaction, right? And I think as humans, we tend to be, as writers, we tend to be always looking for the people who don't like there's something like really masochistic about us that it's like, we want to know the people who hated it and 50,000 people must have loved it, but there are three grumpy people in the middle. Those are the only ones you're going to remember. Right. And I really have worked with myself to not be that way. You know, I have a 12 year old child. I tell her repeatedly, number one, I'm not perfect. Number two, we are not in the world to please everybody. This is not a miscongeniality contest. 
you know, you don't have to make everybody happy. You have to be good at what you do in a way that satisfies you and the people you work with. Um, but um, it doesn't mean that everybody will define good in the same way that you do either. Um, so I go to the shows with an open heart, an open mind. I accept, uh, I have accepted the, the constructive criticism that we have received. During previews, it's been helpful to help us refine a few things, you know, and, uh, and I think that every writer, it would be great if I had that opportunity more often with my work to have that trial period almost, you know, put a story out there and see like, put a book out there and see like, oh, you know, it, let's wait a few months, see how it works. And then I can get it back and, and change some things. Um, I have great respect for, for audiences, you know, people actually are paying to come and see something I did. I bow to them and then say, thank you, you know? And I also think that there is, um, in this show, there is a, we're breaking barriers, right? This is not a show that you've seen before, that I've seen before. This is not a show that has music that we hear constantly on Broadway. Um, this is not a cast that we see normally on Broadway shows that is almost entirely Latino that represents a lot of the diversity within Latinos also. Uh, so I understand the audience is also diverse. Uh, and while there are a lot of, um, you know, traditional, the, the traditional that, that we have in our minds, right? It's like, you know, middle-aged white people who are habitual theater goers in New York. There are a lot of people of color in the theaters. And I love to go up to them after the show and say, so what did you think? What, what worked for you? What didn't work for you? Because ultimately what I want is that this show will open the possibilities for people who don't usually or hardly ever see themselves on stage or in on a creative team for that matter. You know, so I want them to know, you know, it's possible. Si podemos, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, so I, a long answer, but um I really, really am humbled every single day by the reactions that we get, even the negative ones. And I tell myself, I don't need anybody to love my show, but I want everybody to come and give my show a chance, you know? That's the idea, right? <laughs> yes. Can, can we talk for a little bit about <laughs> Carrie Rodriguez's incredible score? I, I wish, maybe you can help me with this, Fernanda. I wish I could come up with a better word to describe it than eclectic, because I feel like that's a very basic word. Yeah. But it's, but it's like, it's such, a, it's such a delicious collage almost in song and music form where she gets to use pop and rock and Latino. And again, like even saying Latin beats sounds so reductive because like there's right. elements of samba and elements of mariachi, elements right. of merengue, salsa. Talk a little bit about the score. How would you describe it? Oh my gosh. The score is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I remember when I, and I have to say, Carrie is an incredibly talented singer songwriter who also had never before written for musical because nobody had ever gone to her and made the offer. But in addition to Carrie, we have Sergio Mendoza, the orchestrator from, um, he has a, a band here in Arizona called Orquesta Mendoza. He's part of Calexico, which is a, a, a Latin alt, alt, alt Latin band, whatever 
label you want to put. I forget what it is exactly that it's used, but it's awesome. And um, so he's super creative. And the two of them are have this like genius quality to them where they they're always pushing the boundaries. They're always surprising you with the next thing that comes along. You know, I remember vividly sitting on stage and um, sitting in the theater, not on stage, sitting in the theater at rehearsal when the band came to rehearse with the cast for the first time and hearing triangle, you know, the, this instrument that's a very common instrument for Brazilian music, for bayon, a certain kind of Brazilian rhythm. Forró is very, very common. It's a very common instrument and very uh, common to my part of Brazil. Um, I'm from the northeast of Brazil, from the state of Bahia. And um, when I heard that, I had chills because I felt so, just from that sound, so included and so seen in a way that I had never felt before. I don't have the word to describe Carrie's skills and talent other than to say that she is not restrained by anybody's expectations, not even the theater world's expectations of what a Broadway score should sound like or off-Broadway score, however you want to say it, right? Um, she is doing what she believes is right for the show, for her music, for the artists that we have. And because of that, she's being free from all the chains that bind us, you know, all the conventions that make, that, that just like squeeze the circles and the squares. And then we're all like kind of in there, don't know what to do with ourselves, right? She's not that way. And she's also being really assertive at times to say, um, no, I don't want that change made because it detracts from the purpose of this song, the rhythmic purpose of this song. Uh, the show is pan Latin uh, in the cast and also in the music. We, as you said, there are various different rhythms from all over Latin America mixed in with rhythms that are perceived to be American rhythms, but they're universal rhythms, you know? Um, so uh, I love the idea of diversity uh, and how it's communicated through music in this show. What have you discovered about your own work, listening to it set to music? That I can do anything I set myself to do. That the moment that I allowed myself to write and to be who I am and to write as I am and to be who I am. Um, I accomplished things that I never thought were ever possible. When my words, the words that I wrote and co-wrote with my, with my team were, are sung or acted on stage because the songs were all written by Carrie, but the, the words are acted on stage and merge in when blend in with this music and blend in with the choreography. It's, it's, I, I honestly feel like I saw magic happen. You know, I see magic happen every night in that mid that I go and see that show. Um, and that is such an empowering feeling, you know, uh, just to know that I did something that I never thought I would do um, that I don't think anybody who knew me professionally ever imagined I would do. Um, and in doing that, I empowered myself, allowed myself to be bigger than others thought I could be. Um, we're only as big as the limits or as small as the limits we put in ourselves, you know? And, uh, and I keep thinking now, you know, um, 
since I did this, you know, how can I challenge myself? How can I, how can I capitalize on that? Not in terms of money, although money is always great, but, you know, how can I leverage that into something else? You know, um, I'm really intent in, in influencing or, or changing the way we think about ourselves and others. Um, and this show is a great, great way to, to help me accomplish that. Fernanda, I was so moved by a story that you wrote for the Washington Post where you tell a story about going back to Brazil for the first time in many, many years. I'm currently in my home country in Honduras. I hadn't been here in over a decade and I left New York and I relocated here for a while. And I felt so identified with what you wrote in this story. And I guess this is kind of like me being selfish and me wanting to hear some advice and some tips but being a part of both worlds, so to speak, can often feel like a blessing. And sometimes it does feel like a curse, you know, like mm -hmm. you can't really split yourself and clone yourself and live in, in two worlds at the same time. So how do you negotiate that really strange, it's almost like a saudade, right? Oh, it is a saudade. Every day is saudade. I live split, you know, I live with the thought that the, I live with the wondering of what would life be like if I were to go back? Um, what would my life have been like had I never left? Um, but also what would life have been like had I never allowed myself to stay here in this country, right? In the United States. Um, and I don't know if I have the solution to your problems, Jose, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that in the moments when I feel lonely, the moments where I have to make big decisions, those are usually the moments where I miss my family the most or the happy, happy moments. You know, um, I see the pictures on WhatsApp for the parties and the birthdays and all the things I'm missing. I tell myself that no matter what, no matter where I am, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how far apart we are, our love for one another is so strong that I may not physically have them with me, but inside of me, I know I'm never alone. And maybe that's why I've had the courage to do a lot of the things that I've done is that ultimately, tengo mi familia, sabes? Minha família, tenho mis, mis, mis amigos, família. I have the family that I created, as, established as family in this country, um, family of friends. I have the family of blood in my home country. Um, and I have the great fortune of knowing that if I need them, they can be here physically as they have. Um, but also they can just, you know, call me on WhatsApp and we can talk on video and they could say, I te quiero mucho, I tô com saudade, um beijo, um beijo, te amo, you know, and then you just feel a little better. So I think in the end, it's about love, you know, so many people are born and raised wherever it is and they never experience true love, you know, um, and I just, am just really fortunate to know exactly what that means.
in so many ways, you're a trailblazer. And first of all, does, does it get weird listening to that? Like thinking about young Fernanda growing up in Brazil and then <laughs> young Fernanda, you know, being the first Brazilian writer to be a staff writer in the New York Times and all of that, does it get like overwhelming at some point? And in addition to that, being a trailblazer, what would you tell young women and basically young people or, or people of any age who want to become writers, who perhaps don't know that they're allowed to be writers? I, I have to preface this with, with saying that many people, the impediment that many people have to pursuing a career in writing or in theater is uh, financial, right? Um, uh, it takes a little bit of time for us to get us, ourselves established. Many people have financial obligations toward their families. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that. And, um, and I was fortunate that I didn't have to help my parents, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in a significant way, you know, I've helped here and there, but not in any significant way. But, um, but I think that what I tell people, young people, and I mentor them, I talk to them, I am I'm invited to speak at schools, and I love to speak to, to high school, to young groups of people, whether they're writers, but aspiring journalists, uh, uh, playwrights, whatever, is that, um, you know, uh, I, I tell a story, because I come from a family of storytellers, so I tell a story. When I told my father, uh, my father grew up very poor, and he build a good life for himself and his family. And when I told my father um, that I wanted to be a journalist, um, I don't, I come from a family that has no writers, no journalists. Everybody took the safe paths, you know, they studied all the safe things, engineering, economy, you know, medicine. Um, uh, my father said to me, well, you're going to be poor. And I said, maybe, but I know I'm going to be happy. And I think that if we can think of our, if we can allow ourselves the privilege of thinking of our professional choices as a path to happiness, um, then we are more inclined to take risks because it does require risk-taking, right? Um, obviously, uh, I am all for calculated risks, responsible risks. I am a single mother, I'm a widow. So I, I take very, I'm very careful about the risks that I take, but, um, but I still take them. And sometimes you just have to have a little faith in yourself and say, I can do that. But as you do that, the most important thing is look at other people for inspiration, look for inspiration in others, look for, you know, um, approaches that others have taken to, to maybe help guide you, but be you you are going to stand out and be special and, and do well if you are respectful to who you are and you stay true to who you are. That's what makes each and every one of us so, so unique is that we're not the same. Uh, I spent many years in my career because I never had anybody say that early on to me, trying to be like other writers. I remember walking into the New York Times and being so intimidated. And I, I spent quite some time trying to emulate the way other people wrote because they sounded so sophisticated. And then I understood that the beauty of my writing is that it's accessible. 
my English is an accessible English because it's not a native English. It's not a, a an Ivy League English. Nothing against Ivy League people, but you know, I didn't read the classics much. I read them in Brazil. I didn't grow up, you know, um, hobnobbing with intellectuals, uh, not there or here. So um, when I write, I am true to what I have inside. I open my heart and I, I lead with my heart and I use what I have, uh, whether it's my simpler English or my emotional English or my, you know, observations that seem so out of place to people from here, but, uh, but to me are so normal because the world seen through my eyes is different and the world seems th seen through other people's eyes. So yeah, just be and stay true to who you are. I think that's the most important part. Amen. I would say like, amen and amen. I, <laughs> <laughs> I really love that there's, even when you're telling the most harrowing stories and the most tragic stories and the saddest stories and sometimes the most infuriating stories in your work, you get a sense that in a Fernanda Santos piece, there's always going to be that invitation to change and to the possibility of inserting hope and joy into situations that feel like unfathomable at mm -hmm. times. You also talk about your daughter and your work and I wonder if that is the legacy that you want to leave your daughter, that feeling that, yes, the world can be gauss and not the best place sometimes, but that hope is possible. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. I'm so glad that you caught on to that because, um, you know, I stayed in this country because I met a man essentially, right? This man who interviewed me for a job and he had my resume and he obviously was interested in me. He called me to offer an unpaid internship. I was very offended and, but we continued to talk. And uh, one day I actually invited him out. I said, we should go out for dinner. And, um, and we got married and we lived very happily. Our daughter was born nine years into our marriage and we moved to Arizona. I came here as bureau chief for the New York Times, decided to stay because I wanted to spend more time with him and my daughter. I, there was some hope and possibility in the wide open spaces around me. Um, and within a few months of that decision of leaving the times, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died. He died within 30 days of his diagnosis. And I had every reason, Jose, at that moment to pack up and leave. I had people who asked me if I was going back to Brazil, even though I had been in this country for 20 years. And I said, when is it that I will have earned my place here? You know, um, I had every reason to despair and, and say, I can't, there's no way I can ever live, you know, raise a child on my own. There's no way I can ever pay the bills. There's no way I can ever do everything on my own. It would have been easy to say no or to give up. Um, but my husband, who was a white man from a blue collar family in New England, um, always would tell me, you know, when I would kind of doubt myself, he would say, do your thing, just do your thing. And at that moment, I really remembered him saying that, do your thing, you know, trust in yourself, just be who you are, trust in yourself. And I trusted that I could build something special that would be inspiring to my daughter. And I am proud to say that I have kept the boat afloat, 
you know, have done things like this musical that I never imagined I could do. And I've had that by, her by my side all along. You know, we, she's actually going to be with me in New York. She watched the show. She has been with me in New York and in Phoenix. She has seen several iterations of this show. Um, she deserves it. You know, she deserves to believe that there's something great out there, even when life deals you a really bad hand of cards, you know, even when things seem like, like, it seems like you hit a, a wall, you know, maybe there's a way you can get up that wall and get to the other side, you know, uh, maybe you can dig a hole, maybe you can dig a tunnel, like people dig under the wall that Trump built, you know, <laughs> like there are ways to get around the wall. So um, I, I really am a believer that there's always a way out and a way to make things better, you know, um, and it's such a privilege to be alive. It's just such a privilege that I have an obligation, I feel, not in a heavy way, but like I just have a great, good, positive obligation to do things that I like, that I enjoy. And to show my daughter that she can be working hard, she can be consumed by responsibilities, but still have fun, you know? So that's what I try every day. I wake up with reggae music. I make breakfast for us. I sing a dance, you know? And then I look at my calendar and I see what's ahead. And I say, all right, let's eat this elephant one bite at a time. Y yo diría que es una herencia preciosa también que estás dejando. Así que gracias por compartirla con todos nosotros. Uh, Fernanda, before we go, would you like to invite our viewers and our listeners to go to Americano at New World Stages? Yes, please come see Americano. Our show is full of heart. It's an American story. It's a story about honor, courage, devotion to this country. It's a show that will challenge you and your assumptions of what it means to be an immigrant and what it means to be an American. We are in theater three at New World Stages. Um, every day, but Tuesday, we have performances. Um, matinee is on Saturday and Sunday. Um, come see us. We are going to be running through June 19th. And um, we would love to have you there. And if anyone who's listening is ever there, look me up online. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm really out there. I have a website. Find me, send me an email. Tell me what you thought of the show. Tell me that you were there. Even if you hated it, it's okay. I can, I, I have, you know, I'm a grown up. but tell me that you were there. And, um, and, uh, and I really hope that people give this show a, a chance because we are more than West Side Story. We are more than In the Heights. We are more than Americano too. There are many, many stories that our people uh, who are American people uh, can tell and hopefully will tell. And we are, I'm very proud to, to be contributing one important chapter to this, this never ending book of immigrant stories in this country, in the history of this country, right? Fernanda Santos, obrigado. Ha sido un placer. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.